that one. I Nobody believes one. me, but this last punch, I actually, I pulled it. I didn't hit it. Because yeah, <laughs> yeah. I could tell he was out, in it, but it had already started. Yeah. So I just kind of relaxed, and yeah. it yeah. still went through. But everyone's like, no way, you hit him as hard as you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, he was just unconscious. You are now tuned into Stay Dangerous. Welcome, brother. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you got to know Sean, and, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm really excited about this episode. Uh, one is because we've personally been friends for 22 years or so now, and uh, and one of the things I've always admired about, that I think we've had in common and admired about you is uh, not just being an MMA fighter, but being a martial artist, which I think we'll talk later more about it, but mm -hmm. there's a big difference between MMA fighters in general, especially MMA fighters of today, Yeah, right. and just martial artists, but one of the things I've always loved about you is that your foundational like martial arts background, watching you in the mats, how you carry yourself as a martial artist in the mats. I think both of us grew up in, in Japanese jiu-jitsu. We mm -hmm. both have our black belts in not just Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but in Japanese jiu-jitsu. And, uh, and you know, one of my favorite stories, and, and I still share it to this day, you probably don't even remember this, but you were fighting in Pancrase uh, at that time, and you had uh, you either blew out your knee or broke something, and you were, you were out for a while, and you couldn't train. Mm -hmm. and, and I was going to Shane Pitts at, at, uh, at the Pitts Academy in, in Colorado. We were training there together. And, and, uh, and I was going to the fundamentals class. And you were sitting on the side with your leg in a brace with a notebook, taking notes in a <laughs> fundamental class. And I'm like, that guy is a martial artist. And I always remember that. And, always, and I've told people, people have come up to me through years and said, hey, I'm injured right now. I can't, I, 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 I can't train. I'm, on, I'm like, man, there was this one time that Nate the Great was, uh, was what came in the fundamental class when he was hurt and he was sitting there with a notebook taking notes while Shane was teaching. Mm -hmm. And that like always impressed me by, by you know, I've always shared that with others. And so I think the fundamental base of martial arts is like something that I just want to start off with, like hearing about how you got into martial arts and, and your journey through martial arts and when did it begin and why did it begin? So. For sure, yeah. I mean, the, f that's definitely a big part of why I got into martial arts was because of the technique aspect. And that's kind of reflected in that story you told because when, when I was in high school, I was really small and, um, you know, I, I would, uh, have confrontations and stuff and I didn't really have confidence. And what'd you grow up? Like, wh what'd you say? Wh where, where did you grow in up? In Denver, like, okay. yeah, Denver Metro area. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, I was always athletic. I always played sports and stuff, but, um, I always loved, boxing and wrestling and stuff but my parents would never uh, allow me to take karate or, or or something like that because you know they thought it was dangerous and they didn't have the money so uh, I saw one of the early UFCs with Hoist Gracie and of course you know he uh, was beating guys twice his size and so I was really intrigued by that and um, and you know I started training at a gym where they taught karate and jiu-jitsu uh, and like kind of kickboxing style as well and uh so it was you know very uh martial arts it was a martial arts school it wasn't like a fight school right. fight gym and uh so they taught you all the basic things you would learn in, in most traditional martial arts yeah yeah so what what you remember what that time i'm talking about were you injury were you in, were no you i don't remember that no <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I can't remember what it was you, but you had your leg was in a brace or something and you were like on the side of the mat and you yeah were out, you were out for a little while so, really yeah, yeah yeah i mean i can i can imagine it might have been one of a couple of times but but <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. for sure i mean shane was a great yeah teacher technician he was teaching a lot of stuff that was different than what i had already learned so i wanted to soak it all up 
Yeah, he, he was like, yeah. a, wasn't he like a judo, judo world champion? Or? I mean, he's, yeah, very high-level judo, yeah. high-level jujitsu, obviously, yeah. so. Yeah, he, he, was, he was awesome. He was an awesome guy. Yeah. So, we, yeah, we trained together there, and a couple of really good fighters came out of that gym. Uh, I mean, Dwayne Ludwig was training with us there. Mm -hmm. Christian Allen mm -hmm. was one of my favorite guys to train with. It was a really cool story is uh, me and Christian Allen would train together all the time, and years later, uh, I can't remember what event it was. It was a pretty big show. Ask Christian, and I, they both call, called Christian and I and wanted a, us to fight against each other. And, oh, Christ, wow. and Christian told them, no, he's a train with Chad. He's, he was a friend of mine. And we hadn't talked in years. And he said, you know, respectfully declined. And, and I did too. And a promoter called me back to tell me that. Oh, wow. That's I, cool, I never yeah. even got to thank him for that. That's, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's a good dude. He's into being a good coach, right? Yeah, very good coach. Yeah. 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 He's, who's he coaching right now that's big out there? I'm not, I'm not really sure. I haven't been following, but it's, but he's coaching at the the gym that I started, High Altitude Martial Arts. It's okay. uh, one of my black belts runs it. So Cody Donovan. Cody Donovan. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great training up there. There's so many good good gyms up there, but I think that's one of the gyms that a lot of good fighters mm -hmm. come out of. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's training Neil Neil Magny. Oh Neil yeah. Christian trains yeah. Neil. <laughs> and, and, yeah. And, and Neil was a military guy, right? Yeah, Army. Yeah. yeah. He was yeah. fighting while I was in the Army. Yeah, yeah. yeah I heard he's a great person. Yeah, he's a great yeah. guy. Yeah, he's a yeah. good guy. He lived in my basement for six months <laughs> when we first came to Colorado. Well, he must yeah. be a good guy then. <laughs> no, <laughs> let, him, let, let him live in your basement, yeah. 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 Did y'all train together there, Chad? Yeah. So we, all, how, how'd, all, how'd you guys cross paths in your martial arts journey? So we, I, I moved there. Um, I, was in, I was at Third Force Recon Company when the 9-11 happened, and I got recruited to go into air marshals. And so I ended up going to the, fed, in the federal air marshals and was at the Denver field office. Ultimately, I became the, the head trainer for the Denver field office for the air marshals and, uh, and needed a place to train. And I went in, and, uh, and I was looking for gems, and I found a guy named Shane Pitts that we were just talking about. Uh, high, and it was called the Pitts Academy. You later mm -hmm. called it High Altitude Martial Arts, but uh, when you took it over. Yeah, when I, yeah that's yeah. right. I bought it from – that's right. Yeah, but the Pitts, Pitts Academy. And, uh, and so I went there to train, and, and – you just say one of those things. You find a good, good instructor. You say a good program, and you go there and you find out, man, all these great athletes are there. Yeah. And, you know, Christian Allen. He was uh, Nate was there. But I mean, this was back in the day. This was like late '90s or early 2000s. Yeah, early 2000s. And, so I mean, MMA wasn't yeah, that big Super at that popular, point, yeah. and there weren't that many gyms in, that even taught like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, right. To be honest, there was only a few. I think in, I went, in all of Denver. I went to. Colorado BJJ, like in mm -hmm. Little, uh, on, on the edge, I forget where it was at, Littleton maybe. Mm -hmm. And I trained there, but then I was like, it was a great gym, but it yeah. just wasn't what I was looking for. And when I went to Shane Pitt's place, I was like, oh man, this is what I'm looking for. And, and so, yeah, Nate, Nate, Nate at the time was fighting in Japan. Mm -hmm. Fighting and, in Pancras. Yeah, in, in Pancras. And a lot of people don't know this about, about Nate's career. And I think it's, it was kind of one of my next things I wanted to bring up is like, he was the king of Pancras. And uh, like that, back in the day, like that was like, like everybody was talking about the UFC because of Hoist Gracie, but like if you wanted to know where the best fighters in the world were yeah. at that time, it wasn't in the UFC. Uh, no, no offense to any of the fighters in the UFC right now. It was like in some of these other shows around the world where like they had real martial artists. It took a while in the, in the United States for, to get really truly real mixed martial artists. Yeah. You were almost having like style versus style. The Hoist Gracies, you know, the jiu-jitsu versus the sambo guy or, or the jiu-jitsu versus the kickboxer. But in places like in Japan, you were truly having like some people with real mixed martial arts yeah, experience. Yeah. And that's where Nate was fighting. And he's fighting some of the best fighters in the world. And, you know, winning the King of Pancrates at that time, that's where Bosch Rutten was fighting. And that's a big Bosch deal. Bosch Rutten, Frank Shamrock, Ken Shamrock. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, quite a few guys. Hey, folks, I got a shout out for our new awesome sponsor, Midas Gold Group. 
These guys are the real deal, a family business in precious metals for two generations run by Marine Corps veterans who are all about supporting veteran causes and putting America first. But the best part, they know that true financial freedom comes from owning private currency like gold and silver. If you're feeling a bit worried about the unknown and want to secure finances, look no further than Midas Gold Group. With all the crazy stuff happening these days, it's smart to be prepared. If you don't know, our financial data is stored electronically, from bank deposits to retirement accounts, and let's face it, our digital grid isn't exactly invincible. That's where owning gold and silver can save the day, and it's becoming a seriously compelling option. Now here's the scoop. Inflation is nibbling away at your dollar's buying power, and major players like Russia, China, India, and Saudi Arabia are making moves to trade oil in different currencies. This could shake things up big time, as the dollar's stability depends on being the world's trade currency. The central bank digital currency is virtually already here, with patents filed and big banks making plans. And Midas Gold Group sees potentially sketchy implications here. Will it mean the end of cold, hard-earned cash? Is it tied to social credit scores? Storing all our financial info in digital ledgers sounds pretty risky, doesn't it? That's why you can count on Midas Gold Group. They're here to lend a helping hand. They've got competitive pricing, top-notch service, and lightning-fast deliveries all across the United States and Canada. And get this, they could even show you how to use your IRA and old retirement plan to own physical gold and silver without getting hit by any additional tax implications. So listen up, folks. When it comes to precious metals, Midas Gold Group is the real deal and the only one I trust. Give them a ring at 855-322-GOLD. That's 855-322-4653 or hit up their website at midasgoldgroup.com. That's midasgoldgroup.com. They're all about giving friendly, no pressure advice on precious metals. And guess what? If you drop my name, Chad Robichaud, they're throwing in some free silver with any qualifying account. You can't beat that, right? So don't wait around. Secure your financial future with Midas Gold Group. Swing by MidasGoldGroup.com or dial 855-322-4653 and make sure you mention Chad Robichaud sent you. Trust me, you'll be glad you did. So a lot of the mainstream like MMA fans don't know about Pancreas. Tell, mm-hmm. tell, us, tell us a little bit about that, like what it was like. Well, to yeah, go. and so I, I, my first fight in Pancreas, it was 1999, and it was like valet tuto rules. Basically, you could headbutt, you could, you could elbow, you could kick on the ground, you know, stomp, uh, stomp people's kicks, head. stomp yeah. kicks, yeah. Uh, which, but so, you had shin pads. Uh, no, no. So <laughs> like my pads? first fight was no shin pads. Okay. Then, then they uh, and they were doing the valley tuto rules and like the open because Pancrase started it was open palm strikes. Yeah. To mm-hmm. the head only. You couldn't close fist strike, but and there were no gloves and they wore shin pads. It was kind of like <clears throat> they were pulling the the audience from pro wrestling and from kind of other entertainment like that, but they wanted it real, and so uh, they were doing both of them. Then the next year. When they crowned, you know, they crowned the first middleweight champion. Uh, they they had a tournament, and it was their new set of rules. It was basically like pride rules, but then they wore the shin pads and the knee pads. Uh, and then the year after, they got rid of the shin pads, and it's essentially the same rules as pride fighting championships, which yeah. basically just means it's MMA, just like the UFC, but uh, it was in a ring, not a cage, mm-hmm. and. 
uh, there were no elbows, but you could soccer kick the guy if he's down, which mm. is illegal in, in the UFC. In the UFC yeah. Yeah. So l- little difference, but it's all mixed martial arts. And yeah, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a fun time fighting over there and who, good who, experiences. What was one of your favorite fights? I mean, you, you fought some great Japanese, Japanese, you fought some great Japanese fighters. Like, what was your one of favorite fights? Do you remember? Yeah, I mean, uh, I fought one guy, I fought twice, Misaki Kazuo. He's very tough. And uh, I threw him in like 20 seconds, and he broke his arm the first match. And then mm. uh, later we were training together, and and then we had to fight each other. Um, and it was like a you know a three round war, so that was a good one. But then <clears throat> another guy I fought four times. Uh, I beat him for uh, not for the belt, but in the tournament to get the belt the first time I got the belt, and then. We fought again, and it was a draw. And then we fought again, and he took the belt from me. And then later, I made it back and fought him and knocked him out with a flying knee. So it was, it was kind of a cool, you know, story <laughs> yeah. of uh, how, how we fought each other. Yeah, that's yeah. that's super cool. Yeah, I, I I remember like, what year did you win the uh, King of Pancrase? I the won title? the first in two thousand. Okay, yeah, that's because that's about when I showed up. That's when I showed up. I remember you had just won that. That was mm-hmm. a big deal. Yeah, that was. Yeah. And then, uh, and then you. What year did you go over to UFC? In two thousand five. Two thousand five. Okay, okay. It was, well, I mean, man, you had so many oh, over sixty professional fights. My my favorite, uh, I, I've you know, obviously as a friend, I've been a big fan of watching all your fights. My favorite was that brutal knockout of Tyrone Woodley, the fourth round mm. for the Strike Force belt. Yeah. Uh, Ty- Tyrone was a uh, you know a monster coming up and. It was a back and forth, like really good match. But that was like to me, that was one of the best, one of the best finishes in MMA because of the way it wasn't just you clipped him and knocked him out. You're like put on put in a good good combination and finish. It was a good finish. It was one of my favorite knockouts in MMA. If you have if people hadn't seen it, yeah, you have to watch it. Yeah, for sure. He was was undefeated at that time, wasn't he? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, he was undefeated and for the belt. And I mean, he was super tough guy. Obviously, still is. Yeah. just super strong. I remember in the first round, he he knocked me down and then he got had me against the cage. Yeah. And he had my arm behind my back with like with a wrist ride. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I tried to do just roll my wrist out and I couldn't. And I was like, this guy is strong. I had to turn the wrong direction to get out of it. That's what I was gonna ask, because like he looked like he always to me, he always looked like one of the strongest guys. Like I know from grappling, like you get guys that are just like, How is this guy this strong for this weight? Yeah. He looked like that, like it, until until he fought Usman, and then he looked like he lost something. Like he lo- looked, but at that time, did he feel just like a, a monster? Like oh yeah, yeah, he was super super strong. Yeah. Uh, but that was one of the things I expected that and trained for a war and really. Should, what's that? I was say we should bring out that clip if you guys. Can oh yeah, yeah. That, yeah, we that, have that the Tyron Woodley. What were you yeah, saying? Yeah, I mean, I, <clears throat> I, I trained for a war, and that that was really one of my best fights, just because he was game opponent. I mean, it was four rounds of action. And I had been training with my, my, my very first karate instructor, and we worked on this combination on, on the cage for, you know, an elbow combination, literally like, like a month before or three weeks before or something, and that's exactly what I that ended up combo? winning with, yeah. And there was a couple other moves that I, that I learned from him, too, and, yeah, it's was, it was really cool. I love when that happens. I was training for uh, – I was training not, not in MMA. I was training for a jiu-jitsu competition in a you – know, you know, you don't know who you're going to fight or who you're going to compete against. I like I hate using the word fight for jiu-jitsu competition, but uh, you never know who you're going to compete against until the brackets come out like the day before. And mm-hmm. the brackets came out, and, uh, and 
I got I get this guy that was like a spider guard. Like his his nickname was Spidey. He was from a and 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 so he's like just really good spider guard black belt guy. And and I'm like, oh man, like I hate getting stuck in spider guard. And he's my first guy in the division. And one of my training partners, Tina Martinez, who's awesome black belt across in Gracie and Temecula. He's like, let me, let me show you a spider guard pass. And, he, and we drilled it like three or four times. Mm-hmm. And then the and next day I passed the guy twice with it and smashed him. And nice, yeah. And he finished with the arm bar. But it's, I love when that happens. You do something training and then, you know, and then it comes off in real life. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. That's great. Yeah, here it is. Here it is. Boom. 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 Yeah, and I'd set him up with that left elbow a couple times. Boom. Man. And then hit the combo at the end. What's crazy is he's out, but he's not he's going down. Yeah, look, he, he's, oh, yeah, he's kind of just like sitting on a chair. He's just kind of sitting, his body's just staying upright. It's yeah. crazy. Look at that, man. Can you still do that? I, I could, but I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> but land, you know, if you land the same. I might have to practice a few times to, before I land it right. Yeah, he's done here, but yeah. I'm actually surprised the ref didn't didn't jump in after and that 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 third elbow, that one. Nobody believes one. me. But this last punch, I actually I pulled it. I didn't hit it because yeah, <laughs> yeah. I could tell he was out in it, but it had already started. Yeah. So I just kind of relaxed. And yeah, it yeah. still went through, but everyone's like, "No way! You hit him as hard as you could." Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, "No, he was just unconscious." Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no what, I, that to me is one of my favorite finishes in MMA as a martial artist because I, I like that. You wouldn't just throw in those a clean combo, and that, that really validates what I was thinking because the fact that you guys drove it—that was yeah, right. That was awesome. Yeah. What, what was uh, that's that's my favorite. What, what was your favorite finish? All all of MMA or finish favorite favorite fight? I mean, that was definitely one of them. Uh, Damian Maya is another yeah. easy one. Damian Maya, Wilson Govea, yeah, had a good finish with him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I like all the finishes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just, a, just watch my highlight reel. Really. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think the fight with Damon Maya is like one of the ones that like people really. I mean, Sean and I were talking about this. Yeah. One of the ones that like people really like. Man, that guy's got power. Like, yeah. 2009 UFC 102, uh, 21 second knockout. We we, we had we had the clip actually. We already we had already had that one pulled up. Let's let's watch that one. Yeah, that one's good too. So that's right in the opening, 21 seconds. He yeah. Throw a right cross. Right. He's coming in. I can't remember. Is he going to throw a well, knee the, or something like that? So or a low kick? Things, like I had, I, uh, I had a, what do you call it when you sprain your toe? Turf toe. Like turf basically toe, yeah, yeah. Toe. Or mat toe. I didn't, yeah. I yeah. didn't realize how bad that was. And I literally, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't move back. I couldn't. So it was my left leg. So I couldn't push and move backwards. Mm. So I was like, man, I have to go forward this whole fight. And then usually how I would counter uh, a high kick, I would, scoot back and then counter counter yeah and uh i remember actually i was talking to Dwayne ludwig i was i was telling him like i can't move backwards and i can't do my counter and i, and I saw a clip of him training the high kick with vanderlei silva right so so i was like asking him he's like oh that's easy when, when if you can see it coming you just step in and throw your Close right cross you're gonna beat the beat him beat the kick you know yeah and so sure enough like it was just like he threw one and i was like okay if he throws another one I know what I'm going to do, and I just stepped in and hit him. Obviously, I didn't expect the knockout, but, yeah, it worked well. <laughs> it was a knockout for sure. Yeah. Yeah. This is it right here. Yeah, you'll, you'll see him kind of like – he'll th- mm. there, Right there. There it is. Right. Boom. Heavy. Oh, man, classy. Classy pulled that one, too. Yeah, there you go. You could have murdered him right there. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I mean, for sure, yeah. I wouldn't want to hit a guy while he's unconscious, but at the same time, 
you wouldn't want to wake him up either. If yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like I could see his eyes were rolled back in, in the back of his head, and I didn't know. Uh, I didn't know if they were going to stop it, but I was like, well. <laughs> yeah, so, so watch, watching, I mean, one, you know, you've always been, I've always known you as a guy, you know, pretty high character and, and super humble, always been super humble, but uh, just watching, like, that's a good example. Like, you could have both, both those guys talk about pulling a punch on, on Woodley, even though, I don't know. Okay. I don't know if he did or not. <laughs> it looked pretty hard. <laughs> no, I get it. He's, his head was probably limp when you hit him, but but definitely on Damon. I mean, like, I mean, you get a guy like that in a hurt position, a vulnerable position. You see some fighters like, uh, you know, what what George George Masvidal. Yeah, uh, yeah, right, yeah. Uh, you know, just with uh, what, what was his name? Uh, Askren. Yeah, Askren. Yeah. Poor Askren. No, you can forget his name now. <laughs> After that, but I mean, yeah, you 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 have the opportunity to you can really hurt somebody when somebody's out like that. And if you could hold the back, I, I think that's just a respectful thing to do. But it just says a lot about who you are. But uh, one of the things, uh, this the virtue uh, of humility is like a, I think a big virtue of martial artists. And I've watched over the years mm -hmm. that kind of dwindling away, where people are, you know, and Conor, Conor McGregor was the first one with this. Like he proved like being loud. Mm -hmm. uh, getting social media clicks, building a fan base by being the bad guy, like could make you more money, make yeah. you more popular, give you more opportunity. And, and it, it worked for Connor. So now you have this wave of other people trying to follow suit and be loud and obnoxious going out the character who they really are to get fights, to big, get bigger fights and get bigger following and get paid more money. And mm -hmm. that's kind of really infected the, the sport of, M of MMA for me. And it's lost its uh, kind of humble virtue of, of, of being a martial artist. And uh, yeah. kind of, I think we share the same thought, but I want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so I'm 100% agree, and it's a, it's a, for me, it's a turnoff. Yeah. And even if I like the guy's fighting style, and he acts arrogant and prideful and says stupid stuff afterwards, and in his interviews, I don't like that. You know, okay. and it turns me off to to follow that fighter. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, of course you can you can get a big following doing stuff like that. Uh, but you also really make yourself look like a fool. Yeah. Yeah. By doing that, so yeah. sacrificing your character and, and uh, for for money, essentially what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, I mean, I think we we came up in a time when we we fought in this sport where it was like it was it was very like uh, I remember just being in the back. You know, the shows wasn't as big in the beginning, and you're in the back and everybody's in the same locker room. Mm -hmm. Me and Zach Makovsky before we fought in the main event of Bellator. It was like 100 degrees outside, and, and we were fighting out, outside in Yuma, Arizona. And the, and the mat was like, they were having a spray with a bug spray, the water in a mat before oh, we went wow. out. And, and yeah. so I was, I was messing with Zach because he's from Philadelphia, and he's like real white and pasty. And I was like, <laughs> I'm going to hold you down on the mat and burn, hold your face down and burn. <laughs> you we were just talking trash in the back, having fun, you know. And, uh, and it was like those kind of, and I, I think that's kind of lost. I don't, I don't see that anymore. Like, I just never could remember a match. And, you know, I did 20 professional fights. I can't remember a match that I ever, like, had, like, real, real animosity and had like malice towards an opponent. It was always like a respectful. I had this like feeling of respect. Like this guy just trained, worked three hard, three hard months, or two hard months, whatever, to train to fight me. Like there was this mutual kind of bond and respect from going through that together. And I just feel like watching the sport now. It's it's you know I love the sport now. I still watch it, but I just feel like a lot of that's lost. And uh, yeah, and I think the fans are missing out. Hey guys, Chad Robichaud here. Are you ready to experience the greatest beef you'll ever taste while supporting an incredible cause? Well, get ready to sink your teeth into the irresistible beef from Skyrose Cattle Company. At Skyrose Ranch, where Mighty Oaks Foundation holds our West Coast legacy programs, 
Wayne Hughes Jr., the founder of Sky Rose Cattle Company, has dedicated over a decade to perfecting the art of raising premium beef. And guess what? You can now enjoy the fruits of his labor right in the comfort of your own home with the absolute highest quality beef you can find, hands down. And trust me, I'm a carnivore and I've tasted plenty of steaks and nothing comes close to a Sky Rose steak. These cattle are grass-fed and free of antibiotics, hormones, and vaccines. And for the last 10 years, I've personally watched these cattle graze 25,000 acres in Central Coast, California, and the taste is unbeatable. When you choose to purchase Sky Rose beef, you're also making a difference by supporting the Mighty Oaks Foundation. Wayne is all about helping our deserving military and first responder communities through our faith-based resiliency and recovery programs. And every single penny of your purchase goes directly towards assisting our nation's warriors. Let me reiterate this, because it's crazy. 100% of the proceeds of Sky Rose Cattle goes directly to Mighty Oaks Foundation to support our nation's warriors. So let's join forces and make a positive impact one delicious bite at a time and head over to Sky Rose CattleCO.com. That's SkyRoseCattleCO.com today and order yourself some tender, juicy cuts of beef. Trust me, your taste buds will thank you. And one more little insider secret. Every warrior who goes through Mighty Oaks Legacy Program at Sky Rose will assure you that this beef is extraordinary and off the charts delicious. The very first thing our warriors get when they get to Mighty Oaks Programs on Sky Rose Ranch is a delicious Sky Rose steak hanging off the side of their plates with a Sky Rose brand on it, and our Warriors love them, and you will too. Yeah, you know, a lot of the guys that do it aren't actually that way in real yeah. real life. They're not, that's not their personality. And I'm sure they figure, you know, it's just for entertainment, but the problem is it's it's really not. That's that's what you're praying, portraying to the world. Uh, people look up to you. Your people look, Kids look up to you, right? Yeah. People are going to emulate that. Kids are going to emulate that, and they're going to see that and say, oh, that's, that's a good thing, <clears throat> when yeah. actually it's not. Pride is not a good thing. It's evil. Mm -hmm. And like you said, humility is a virtue. And, uh, you know, talking about yourself is, is not good, right? The Bible says, uh, let another man's lips praise you, not your own. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, all the crap talking before you, talking down to your opponent. I always thought, why would I want to win against a guy if he sucks so if i go and say that this you know this guy's a horrible fighter this and that it's like yeah. well what's what's good about beating a guy like that yeah. but if you actually talk about how good the guy is in certain areas and then it's actually something if you beat him so what's what's wrong with talking good about your opponent yeah. i think that's a good thing yeah. yeah yeah he's really talented i got yeah it's a complex problem that i have to solve yeah that right? challenges me i've a, a lot of guys I felt that I fought were like better than me in certain areas. And I'm like, man, I, I got this problem in front of me. It's a challenge. I got to figure out how to solve. And I got two months to figure out how to do it. Me and my coaches are going to figure out how to beat this guy. And that's like a, I always, that's one of the things I liked most about mm -hmm. competing was like the problem solving of, of gaming a match to beat a guy that I thought was better than me in certain areas. For sure. And you know, when I first got to the UFC, uh, they had a big problem with me. It, it took like an hour to get my little, three-second, <laughs> two-minute yeah, clip yeah. for the pre-fight stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And it's because I didn't want to do any of that, but, like, over the years, they really got to me, and I was like, okay, I know what they want. I have to say these things. Yeah. And yeah. I regret it. I, re I, I really wish I would have had the backbone at that time and maybe some, some counsel to say, like, look, you, you can handle those interviews in a way that maybe they get what they want, but you don't have to say what they tell you to say. Yeah. 
So, you know, I, I love a humble champion. I mean, I, 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 I you know, these there's f- lots of great fighters out there that that do this showboating stuff, you know, and and I can still appreciate their skill, as you were saying, mm-hmm. but, but it, it does it rubs me the wrong way. I'm like, man, if you were just humble. Uh, I would actually have a, a much better relationship with you if that was the case. You know, I would I would feel like I, I I would I would just feel like I could actually follow you and really love what you do mm-hmm. because you were humble in doing it. You know, how was how was it in the UFC fighting for the title compared to other shows you did? Like fighting, you fought Anderson Silva when Anderson Silva was in his the height of his like you know, unstoppability mm-hmm. and, and you get the chance to fight it. What was that like compared to fight other fights? Was it any different for you? Is it the same? Uh, no, it was, it was different. It was totally different. Yeah. <clears throat> the, the, all the media beforehand was crazy. I'd never really experienced that before. Just doing interview after interview after interview. Cause and in those moments, uh, that's the, that is the biggest fight in the world, right? That's like yeah. you're fighting Anderson Silva for the title. That's the biggest fight in the world at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just every reporter and journalist, they're they're asking you the same exact questions. Yeah. And it really starts to get, get to you. Like, they're asking you, how are you going to deal with this or that? Or what about how great he is here? And instead of, like, me worrying about what, what I'm going to do in the fight, I'm suddenly I'm, like, having to defend myself in these interviews of, <laughs> no, yeah. I'm actually good enough, I promise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so... Yeah, because um, everything's about lifting. For him at that time, everything's about lifting him up. Like this guy's unbeatable, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's definitely it's uh, there, there's a pressure that comes with it for sure, and and uh, yeah, I think only certain guys are are really able to get through that, and yeah. and I I mean I I think it did probably get to me a little bit in, yeah. in my fight. Stylistically, I thought at the time, I, I thought you were the right matchup, and and the one guy that could have the one guy that could beat beat Anderson Silva at, mm-hmm. at that time. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I thought so too. <laughs> and, yeah. and I mean, I, I did all right. I took him down and I was upset with the, the, the ref stood us up and I was upset because I'm like, I, I took him down. I was on top. I was going to do damage and the refs, the ref stood us up. Um, and that kind of broke my concentration of my, my game plan. And I was like, well, I'll just take him back down rather than going back to our game plan. I just yeah. shot in real quick because I, I was upset that they stood it up and uh, cost me, you know, a couple of mistakes and the fight was over. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Crazy you, thing you, about martial arts, you do 99% things right. You, get, you only have to do one thing wrong mm-hmm. yeah. in the sport of MMA, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Con- consequences are high. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and it didn't change at any moment. Yeah, right. Was that, what was that fight with that, uh, oh, man, uh, Ro- Rose's husband? Oh, uh, Pat Barry. Pat Barry versus yeah. Uh, Congo. Yeah. That, that fight. Out of, oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like, like you're just totally dominating, like a t- probably 10-7 round, and then all of a sudden you get knocked out. Like, yeah. yeah it, could change, it could change like that. Uh, same in life. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, you could be winning and change. Uh, I, I was, uh, you know, being in ministry at Mighty Oaks, I was like, I, I had this one guy, my board of advisors, Pastor Chris Brown out of North. Uh, North Coast Church in California, and I had like this one like we just had everything was going really good at Mighty Oaks, and I just sent this guy like praise report like man all these things amazing things are happening and and uh, and all he wrote back was uh yeah never forget you one mistake away from ruining it all oh wow <laughs> <laughs> I'm like thanks for that but it's true like you were no matter where you are you're one mistake away from you know whether you're in the ring or in life yeah, you're man. always one mistake away from 
you know, messing it all up. And we, mm-hmm. we're certainly capable of yeah. doing that. Yeah. Yeah. But it, I mean, and for, for me, I think it was a good, I mean, I, I know it was a good thing that I actually lost because who knows where I would have been if, if I won that fight and how, you know, how God was leading me and I could have been in a really, really bad spot for sure. You know, with all the success that comes with that. Man, it's so interesting you say that. So, I, you know, I was on an unbeaten win streak. I fight Zach Makovsky for the Bellator title. I, I, well, it was he was a Bellator champion at the time. It was a super fight. I lost that fight. It's my first loss. And people mm. were like, everybody's like, oh, what's it feel like to get your first loss? And I'm like, actually, I, I, it didn't really bother me because I felt like I had trained my best. I was, like, perfectly healthy. That was my best performance. I, my game plan was going exactly, like, and, and I lost. He was just better mm-hmm. than me. And, it, and I was like, okay, that's, a, that's better than me out there, so I have to get better. Like it brought, it brought me. But then I fought my rebound fight. I fought this guy, uh, Jonathan Mackles, who's like, he was 15 and 2, good record. But like for me, like 10 times out of 10, I, I beat him. And I came back with that attitude that it was, it's my rebound fight in the first round. I got caught in the guillotine and couldn't oh, get wow. out. And, and yeah. I lost. And that one hurt. That yeah. one stung me. And I look back, and at that time, if I would have won, you know, had that good fight against Zach, I would've, if I would have won that fight, uh, I would have I would have went over to the UFC's 125 pound division, and my life would have taken a different trajectory mm-hmm. because that was the beginning of when Mighty Oaks start and so started. So now I'm like, as much as it ate me up, as bad mad as I was, and not not even sleeping for losing that fight the way I lost it. I mean, I had like all these veterans came from Brook Army Medical Center, like all these like disabled veterans, guys in wheelchairs. They brought a whole bus of them to come watch me fight, and they're all on the front row. And you to lose like in the first round in the guillotine. Oh, well, yeah. I like had to walk out. I just wanted to go <laughs> hide in the back room, and I had to go shake. I went. I didn't have to. I, I chose to go shake their hands and stuff like that. Yeah. I was like so embarrassed that I, could, that I lost the fight that way. And even Jocelyn was like Jocelyn was in the back, like. How'd you get caught in a guillotine? I'm like, <laughs> I don't even remember what happened. I, got, I was like, I got, I kind of got rushed and fell against the fence, and he came in with a flying knee, and his quad caught me in the face, and I just, I stood up and single legged him twice. Mm-hmm. And I got caught in a guillotine. I woke up thinking I was drowning, and I was just like oh, so wow. like embarrassed about it. But look back now, and man, if I'd have won that fight, the trajectory of my life would have been so probably been so, so were you, different. Were you saved at the time when you lost that fight? Yeah, you were okay. I was, yeah. Yeah. And so I believe God kept me from winning that fight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I personally believe that God got because it would have, I would have been. Went to the UFC, and uh, my life would have maybe went in the back backwards backslid to where I was before. Yeah, and uh, and I'm thankful now today. I could say and say congratulations, Jonathan Mackles. Nice, I'm glad yeah. you won that fight, and I didn't. Uh, and I came back and won two. You know, I did two more fights, one two two fights. But my mindset was in a different place. I was doing it was an opportunity to promote Mighty Oaks. Uh, I, I got to fight and uh, came back fought Legacy, fought uh, Joseph Sandoval, who was coming out of UFC. And I beat him in 58 seconds, nice. so I got my first round re- re- redemption. And then, uh, and then I fought uh, Andrew Yates, who was undefeated in the World Series of Fighting. And NBC Sports was graciously put uh, Mighty Oaks on, did a special on Mighty Oaks, which was great for Mighty Oaks. And yeah, that's and awesome. at that time, I realized I'm getting older; these guys are getting younger. I'm gonna have to put a lot of attention, a lot of energy into this. And uh, and my energy, you know, is only so much bandwidth. And uh, God really called me to focus on Mighty Oaks and not fighting. And uh, I was able to walk away and hang out my gloves and, mm-hmm. and it felt like the right time. And, uh, of course I always miss it, you know, watch guys and I'm like, I could beat that guy. Yeah. You, you want to get back in, but it was the right time for me to walk away and, uh, and let the next generation have it. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. I, I, I got saved after my, the first time I lost two fights in a row. That's, I got saved right after that. And oh, I feel, man. feel like God used that in yeah. my life as well. So 
Yeah, something about uh, hitting rock bottom. <laughs> right. I, have a, I had a friend, Rusty Brooks, would say, uh, "Rock turns out rock bottom is a pretty good foundation to, mm-hmm. to rebuild your life off yeah. of. <laughs> yeah. It's easy yeah. to look up when yeah. you're at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right. And, yeah. yeah, right. I mean, that's, the, that's what we're talking about, humility, right? Yeah. God yeah. humbles the proud, but he gives grace to the, to the humble. He lifts up the humble. Right. So. So, I mean, and sometimes yeah. we have, he allows us to humble ourselves or yeah, humbles exactly. us. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, you know, you fought twice in the 2021 after like four years off. Uh, we, we could definitely talk about what you've been doing those four years, but um, a lot of a lot of fight offers in 2022, all of them fell through. Uh, do you have a future still in MMA? You're 44 years old. I mean, you're still healthy. Like, I mean, 44 is in uh, the new the new 25, <laughs> yeah, right. I guess, right? <laughs> I mean, you you have uh, any aspirations to still fight? Like, what's your uh, plans in MMA? Well, I mean, that's kind of a hard question to answer yeah. you know with just yes or no <laughs> it's yeah. a it's a deep question for me because <clears throat> because of everything that's happened in my life and how God's spoken to me uh when I the, the night I got saved I was gonna quit MMA because uh, I knew it was selfish thing for me and it was an idol like that's what I worshiped that's what I lived for and so I was telling everyone I was going to stop and I was going to just open up a small business and lead a humble life. And uh, I had a vision. I saw a belt and I never had a vision before. And so I assumed like, oh, God must be telling me I'm going to be like UFC champion. Mm -hmm. I was fighting in the UFC at that time. And so I believed that all, all the way through my career and my career ended with three losses, three consecutive you know, close decision losses, but, um, UFC cut me and I was like, okay, that's, that's it. And, uh, looking back on that, I was thinking, well, maybe the, maybe it wasn't from me. Maybe it was a hallucination or maybe it was from God and it was a spiritual, you know, he's, he's talking spiritually. I'm going to be a spiritual champion. And so, you know, I retired end of 2017, 2018 comes on Easter day. I fell asleep and had a dream that I was walking with someone. And he said, remember Abraham's promise. And he points up to the stars. And I I look up and I was like, oh, yeah, Abraham's promise was to have descendants as many as the stars. And I said, yeah. And uh, his promise ultimately is fulfilled in Christ because through faith in Christ, we are children of Abraham. So ultimately, it was a spiritual fulfillment, even though there, there was a, you know, uh, a fulfillment in this world as well. So I was thinking, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, so he said, how about, how about yours? And somehow I, I knew he was talking about the vision. And I thought about it, and I was like, well, I'd, I'd rather be a spiritual champion than... A world, than have worldly success. And he said, well, because you've chosen the spiritual, I'm going to give you both. And suddenly I became aware that I was dreaming. I basically woke up in, in my dream. I was still, you know, had my eyes closed, but I was like, who am I talking to? That's what I'm thinking. So um, I said, how do I know this is you and not just dream? How, how do I know I'm not dream, dreaming this up? And he said, I'll confirm it. And I woke up, went and told my wife, and was thinking, like, what does that mean? She she said, well, you don't have to worry. God will show you if it was from him. And uh, 
So we didn't tell anybody later that week. I went to a prayer meeting with my buddy Micah up in Fort Collins, like an hour away. And we didn't know anybody there except for Micah and one other guy. And, and so uh, during the worship time, one guy came up to me. His name's Kelly. Uh, he'd never, we'd never met. He didn't know I was a fighter. And in the first things, words out of his mouth, he says, I believe I have a word from God from, for you. Uh, God wants you to keep fighting. And he paused, and he's like, the good fight. And, uh, <laughs> made it more confusing. Yeah, yeah. made it more exactly. Oh, yes, that's a confirmation. Now, yeah. now, now we're like, backwards, ground zero. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he says, you know, God says you're a warrior, and he's going to train your hands for war and your fingers for battle, and he's, he's yeah. your coach, and he's never going to leave you or forsake you, and all yeah. these things. He's talking about, you know, bringing up scripture uh, about warriors and fighting. And I was shocked. I was thinking like, oh, maybe this is what God was talking about in the dream. So, uh, you know, a while passes. And no, nobody could hear us, by the way. The, we had really loud mu worship music. And, and uh, so the next guy comes up, and it's my friend, uh, Rob Bray, who, uh, who's a pastor out there. And he says, you know, I... Uh, I know that I know you, but I believe God just gave me a, a, a vision. I saw it looked like um, it looked like the movie Warrior, where the two guys are in the tournament and one guy's choking the other guy out, and you know he he taps out. Right. So so I don't know what it means, but maybe maybe you have uh, to submit to God about something, yeah. or <laughs> and I was like, okay. So five ten minutes goes by, and then another guy comes up that I don't know. And this guy doesn't know what MMA is, and he 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 said, "Hey, I was praying, and uh, your friend asked me to pray for you. So I, I was praying for you to if God would show me something. And I saw a picture of you. It looked like you were maybe wrestling someone, or so it looked looked like you were you guys were pushing up against each other. So I don't know what it means. Maybe you need to wrestle in prayer or something. <laughs> like and uh, I was like, oh wow, and and. So, you know, I, I, I believe that was the confirmation. Later, like six months later, my, my buddy Logan Dorn, we were talking. He asked if I was ever going to fight again. And I said, I said, yeah, I think so. And all of a sudden, he, like, paused, and he started getting tears in his eyes. And he told, tells me that he had a, a vision of me uh, talking after a fight, holding a belt. Uh, and telling everybody about Jesus. And I, he said I was all beat up and stuff. And I was like, <laughs> wow. all right, wow. Okay, so, I mean, that was, you know, that was while I was in seminary getting my master's. And, you know, I kept, I kept training, but I never really pursued it. I, when I graduated, I figured, okay, well, I have to, I have to pursue whatever God's calling us to. And so we were going to move to Thailand and, and uh, we sold our house. I was going to go train there and do ministry, like, you know, start, putting, you know, church plant and Bible study plant yeah. and stuff like that. So, uh, but we couldn't get there. And uh, we ended up in Florida and, you know, over, like, so it was 2021, I believe, that, that out of four, after four years of retirement, I, uh, I took a fight, won that fight, took another fight, lost that fight. Um, and then last year, and this I was think, after the, the fights were after the, 
the vision and, and the people affirming the vision. Is yeah. Correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you, yeah. you won one, lost one. What, what, what was first? I uh, won one and then lost and one. Lost. Okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. yeah. So in that, in that order. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and then last year, just praying through what God wants and, and uh, I said, okay, God, if you, if you want me to fight, bring, bring me a fight because I don't, I don't see what you, what you want. Yeah. And I had, I think, four or five fight offers, and I accepted all of them except one, I think, and, and they all fell through. That, like, you know, uh, they didn't happen even though I accepted them. So, mm. um, yeah, it's still kind of up in the air. Right, not, yeah, not a simple answer. It's a confusing state, and especially yeah. for someone that wants to, you know, live out you know the things that god's putting in front of them it's yeah you know what's you're like man uh i know like we always want clarity but god doesn't always give us clarity because he wants us to there's, there's lessons in the mm-hmm. journey to to clarity right there's there's things that we learn along the way to, to find those answers and he that sometimes he doesn't always give us the clarity right away for sure we have to be able to discover those things on our own uh but but to answer your question i mean one one thing i do believe he's calling me to because I, I went on a mission trip to uh germany and armenia and the guy there, my good friend now, Georg, he has a ministry there, and it's a, a gym, and it's other stuff. He does other things as well, but it's a martial arts gym, and it's it's a ministry to, to bring kids in uh, right. to teach them about Jesus, you know, to, to bring them to Christ, and super powerful ministry. And, <clears throat> you know, I, I believe God's calling me to do that at some point, so I'm, I'm also open so, to, to when that happens. I went to downtown Philadelphia, like, Two years ago, I spoke at a church, uh, Calvary Chapel of Philadelphia, Philly, and I did the men's conference and I spoke at the church. And they had they had wanted me to go to, I guess this area in Philly is like the block. This specific block is like has the most like like murders of any of anywhere in the country. And mm. it's like one specific block. And and they and they when they walked me back there, there was like this MMA jiu-jitsu gym that's free to the community. Nice there, but there's like kind of like Boys Town rules. Like you have to submit to a drug test. You have to like get a, a letter from your teacher. That's, that's what you pay. That's an admission to mm-hmm. train there. Like your teacher has to say, Hey, this kid's like, so, so it's jujitsu, MMA, kickboxing. And they would, they throw a block party every year on this corner. Mm-hmm. And I went down there and it was like heroin addicts laying in the street as disposable bins for, uh, for heroin needles. People wow. like passed out inside wow. the, and there's like, and I went down and they put these mats in the street and we like, and I grappled all day with these kids. <laughs> oh, wow. It was, it was awesome. Like these kids, like not just kids that train, like kids from the street coming up and grappling. Okay, so kids who didn't know yeah, anything. Yeah, so me and me and these other guys went <laughs> up all out. day. It, you know, so it was it was super fun. Every day, more than 22 veterans take their lives. That's a devastating reality that we can no longer ignore. But what if I told you that number actually is much higher? According to a recent study, the actual number of veteran suicides could be double the federal estimates. That means 44 veterans could be lost to suicide every single day. Whether the number is 22, 44, or one, one is too many. But there's hope. Mighty Oaks Foundation provides a lifeline for veterans, first responders, and active duty communities struggling with PTSD, depression, and thoughts of suicide. Our non-clinical, faith-based, peer-to-peer programs focus on spiritual resiliency, providing our military and first responder communities to overcome their hardships of service and find a new life purpose. We know that the road to recovery isn't an easy one, but with the support of Mighty Oaks, our warriors can find the hope and healing they need to move forward. 
Visit MightyOaksPrograms.org, that's MightyOaksPrograms.org, and learn how you can support our mission to end the epidemic of suicide in our military and first responders communities. Together, we can make a difference. Uh, and uh, and it was just so cool to see that. Like it reminded me of like the old boxing gyms in like downtown Harlem to keep to keep kids off the street. Mm-hmm. But like with jujitsu and MMA, and but I was like really interested, and I thought it was really cool that their their price of admission was no money. Mm-hmm. Anybody could afford it because you afford it with your behavior. Like by being yeah. by being uh, like yeah. you can afford it by by making good decisions. And that they would teach these kids that yeah, you make some good decisions, just your reward to get to come train here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the letter your teacher says that you're behaving, you come train here. If you could be willing to pee in this cup, mm-hmm. we could test you right here, like anytime, you could train here. And, oh, that's uh, great. It, it was super cool. Um, was that a Christian ministry? Yeah, it's a Christian yeah. ministry. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It nice. was super cool. I'll plug you. I'll, I'll let, show you where, where it's at. I'll get mm-hmm. some I can't remember the name offhand. I apologize to the place because I should know. I think Rock, Rock Ministries or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's like a downtown Philly and it's, it's associated with the Cavalry Chapel in Philadelphia. Oh, super, you, that's right. You said that's very yeah, cool. Su- yeah, that's super awesome. cool. Yep. Uh, I'm, I'm waiting to pull up another video for you. Um, did you guys find it? No. What are you looking yep, for? Pulling it up now. So, oh. so uh, there's a uh, there's a guy named Daniel Kim. You know Daniel Kim, Sean? Yeah. So da- Daniel Kim was a uh, he was on the uh, U.S. Muay Thai team, and before Matt Height, uh, before Matt Wald, yeah, took over. was uh, took over. Uh, he was Dan- Daniel Kim was his instructor, and so Daniel Kim was my like Muay Thai coach. Mm. He lived there, and, and, t- and he, he was a really strong believer at the time when I was a complete degenerate, and uh, <laughs> and he was like he would always like just pray for me and pray for my family, and he tell me and Kathy, he'd like I just had a, a vision of you guys speaking in a big church, and, and I'm like, oh wow, I'm like dude, you're out of your mind, like I'm not even going to church, like speaking. And he would tell Kathy that, and he would start crying, like and uh, and, and, oh, actually, wow. and actually because when me and, when me and Kathy separated. He actually left uh, because he couldn't take because he loved us so much. He just couldn't take being there anymore. And he took a, he went over to work for Fairtex in a in a, in the uh, Bay Area of San Francisco and started coaching uh, Jake uh, Shields and Gilbert Melendez. He started wow. coaching at at, at 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 El Nino Fight Club. Okay, El Nino Fight Club up there. So that's what they, so he left us to go there because of me and Kathy's separation. So for those that didn't know that, probably Sean too. That's I'm sorry. That's why he left because of, yeah. <laughs> of my, my, my my boneheadedness. But but now you know, and he was so excited to find out when he found out that you know I I became a Christian and gave my life to Christ. And then and then when he see, saw me and Kathy speaking, he called and he was like, <laughs> "This was like prophecy." He was like crying and and uh, and it was so cool. But one of the things that's we awesome. talked about because we both kept fighting us and we were talking about, "Hey, should I fight these two fights?" After mm-hmm. was like. I'm fighting for the microphone. Like for yeah, me, right? like I want, I'm, yeah. that's the thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and before you fought, I would text him one time, like, Hey, you're fighting for the mic. Like if I get that microphone and then if the winner gets the microphone, I get, to, I get to profess Jesus. I get to profess, uh, who gives me strength, who gave me the opportunity to still be there and do this sport. And I get to glorify him and, and mm-hmm. all that we do, even, even through fighting. And so I was always like, man, that, that was kind of my thing. The last two fights I did was fighting for the microphone. And Daniel stuck with that. And I even wrote it in one of my books in unfair advantage about fighting for the microphone. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I was, I was really, my heart was kind of broken. Not that I expect Dana White to be like a, you know, follower of Jesus or the Antichrist or anything, but he, he seems to stay away from a lot of opinions and stuff, but he had this strong opinion on, on how fighters shouldn't, uh, profess the gospel at, at the end of their fight. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's my moment. Like I won that fight. It's my moment to think, 
uh, who I want to give credit. People want to know how'd you win this fight? That's yeah. how I won this fight. I won won this fight because of the favor of God and uh, yeah. and uh, the fact that He gives me the strength and ability and and uh, the physical ability, the mental ability to win this fight. And you know, and uh, to tell a fighter that they shouldn't be able to profess that was I, I was really just, so Dana White has a, a clip we'll show. Yeah, I want, hear, I want to hear your thoughts on it. While you're still fighting and probably trying to get in the UFC, I don't want you to sabotage yeah. your career here. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I think you could you could say whatever you want about Dana and still get in the UFC. Yeah, right, for sure. <laughs> yeah, people people you just need followers. You just it's all about money, right? That, yeah. This is the way of the world. I mean, yeah, we this is to be expected. It's yeah, like we're talking about humility. Why would someone get up on the microphone and talk about someone else? Yeah. That's right. that would be humble. He, yeah. he wants you to talk about yourself yeah. to build yeah. up your brand and right. make more money. When when money's the bottom line, of course. Yeah, exactly. It's humility it's out the window. So, this, yeah. yeah, such a good point. Yeah, go ahead and play it, guys. Last question. Um, of course, you weren't in Florida. Bit of a controversial moment, Yomaro. And I know this is a very positive thing. I'm not trying to rain on that parade. Quite frankly, I don't feel like it was as controversial as some may, may think. But I just wanted to get your take on what happened. No, it wasn't controversial at all. But the reality is this. You just won the biggest fight of your career, you know? Um, America doesn't want to hear your thoughts on Jesus. And, you know, keep that stuff at home. Religion, politics, all that stuff. When you're out there fighting and you're being interviewed, they want to hear about the fight. It's awesome that you love Jesus. Love Jesus all you want. Just don't have to do it publicly. You don't think he said what a lot of people thought he said, right? I know he didn't say that. Um, I know he didn't say it. Everybody knows he didn't say that. Um, I think that's it. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. Love, I mean, love Jesus all you want. Just, just do don't it do home. it publicly, right? Satan agrees. Satan agrees. Just love Jesus at home. Yeah. <laughs> don't tell anybody. Yeah. But, but, you know, any other, any other religion in the world uh, yeah, right? would be accepted to do it publicly. Yep, exactly. Yeah. If somebody wants to, if somebody, even right now, if somebody wants to get up there and talk about, you know, them being a... You know, supporting LG is Pride Month, or, right? Yeah, they wanna, or yeah. LG, yeah. You want to talk about somebody won a UFC fight and they're like, hey, shout out to Pride Month. That wouldn't be spoken against, but don't talk about Jesus publicly. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, yeah, the Lord calls us to a public mm-hmm. proclamation yeah, of our faith, you yeah. know? That's so, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I guess what's your response to that? <laughs> I think we kind of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I was thinking, so what did he say? He said something I was going to comment on I'm, I'm trying to remember so when we both looked at each other i think he said do it but don't do it publicly i don't yeah, remember that's what he said he, he said you, you, you won the, your biggest fight of your career and they got, get up and talk about jesus uh yeah he i mean the american I don't people don't want to yeah. hear about like american people don't want to hear oh, about that's what it was jesus Ameri- they, okay. want be, they want to hear about the fight that's what it was right. he, he said the american people don't want to hear about that well first of all that's not true 100 percent, right no a lot of Americans are Christian. I don't know if yeah. Dana knows Probably that. Probably the majority. So, yeah, yeah. Or at least we, we in name. Claim to be, at least right? in name. Yeah. And like, first of all, I mean, there's a lot of people that do like it. And actually, being a Christian, if you're outspoken, you can get a following. So maybe Dana needs to take that into consideration. But yeah, there's a uh, there's a there's a follower base there, right? Right. But of course, we don't we don't expect him to understand that it's a ne- it's necessary. It's needed. It's a it's a command, like you said, Sean. It's a command. It's needed. People need it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christians need it to hear it, to build up their faith, to do the same. Uh, Non-Christians need it to to know that there's a light that's going to expose their darkness. Uh, but there's also people that, that want to hear it, that, that don't know, that don't know that there's salvation, right? Yeah. So 
Yeah, yeah. and from a fighter from a fighter perspective, like like I said, if somebody's asking me, like, man, how, how'd you, you know, how'd you what how'd you win this fight? Like, what's your key to what's the key to your success? Like to me, right? Like, and I, I speak this to the military. The four pillars of resiliency is you know mind, body, spirit, and social. So I need to be I need to be mentally tough. I need to be uh, physically tough. Mm-hmm. I need to be socially surround myself with the right people, and I need a strong spiritual foundation. Mm-hmm. To me, that's the relationship with Christ. Like, you want to know why I'm successful? How I'm successful? How I just won this fight? This is how. This is the secret of my success. Like, I get asked to do corporate events and go speak at corporate events all the time, and you know I give a disclaimer like. You want to know like my philosophy on leadership. You want to know how I'm able to be successful, a successful entrepreneur. Like you bring me in to talk, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to I'm going to tell you the truth about I'm successful. Mm-hmm. I have a foundation of a relationship with Jesus, and I, and I, you know I I want to be who I was created to be and do things I was created to do. That requires me to have a relationship with the Creator. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm you know so if you bring me in to talk, that's what I'm going to talk about, and people want to hear it. And that that's you you said it too that it's a relationship. Yeah. So it's it. We don't worship God because he gives us stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, that's a like prosperity gospel, mm, what, yeah. they, what they say, prosperity gospel. Like, right. oh, just put your faith in Christ. And he's going to give you all this stuff. Well, th- that's not true all the time, right? No. He, sometimes he allows us, a lot yeah. of times he allows us. There's to a lot of poor people that Jesus. We get, he promises <laughs> that we're going to have persecution. Mm, yeah. So, uh, but at the same time, it's, it's real. It's a relationship. He's the living God. That's the awesome thing about it. I got a buddy, I was telling you earlier, but I got a buddy in Iran who was a boxer, and he was raised in a Muslim family, doesn't know any Christians. He lives in Yazd, and um, he was praying to Allah and wasn't getting better. Nothing was happening. He, so he just thought, man, like, you know, Allah must not be real. Who, which God is real? And he thought about America and Americans, uh, how, like, well, their God actually does something. So he started praying to Jesus and started having success and of course you know he has real faith for sure I, i've you know he's his faith's been tested at this point um but he he put his faith in christ based on something simple like that that, that he's actually the living god who can answer your prayers that's yeah. an amazing thing so <clears throat> yeah um, it's uh chad and i were talking about this the other day um that there's something that's been impactful for me is this concept that obedience doesn't determine the outcome. So if the Lord, and I've seen you this in both yeah. of y'all's lives, if the Lord calls you to something, the answer is yes, no matter what you believe the outcome is mm-hmm. going to be. Obedience doesn't determine that outcome. Your answer right. is what the we Lord always gonna, We're to always going to see it different then, right? Yeah, that absolutely. We're gonna, we, our, our, our view of what success is going to look like is always different than God's. We just need to be obedient mm-hmm. uh, to what That's he's right. calling us to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Who, who, of all the fighters out there right now, for so... For those Christian audience listening and want to follow a, a UFC guy that's boldly professing Christ in the cage and 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 credit, giving God glory for his career, uh, I think we probably pick the same person. We want to see who you pick as, as that guy. Yeah, I think it's probably the same person. I mean, so I've been I've been doing a Bible study at Killcliffe, uh-huh. uh, mm. and so we have some strong fighters, some guys with strong faith, like Ong Lawn Song. He's a very strong Christian. Uh, uh, Ian Heinish also. But uh, I would say it would be Benil Dariush. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's and who I was going to say, yeah. I don't even know him super well. Like, yeah. we, we've spoken and, uh, on the phone and over messages and stuff. But just seeing, you know, I, I see that he runs a Bible study at his gym, and he's strong in his faith. I, I've seen him give his testimony, and he's a real solid Christian. So It seems super authentic, like his... Yep. Yeah, he's a... I'd love to get a chance to talk to him. So, he yeah, just, like, seems super authentic in his faith. 
I can't wait to see his next fight. Actually, isn't it? It's a title fight, right? He's is it? Is a contender spot? Who knows if this will be out before then? But okay, I, I right because yeah. he's fighting. Uh, what's his name? Oliveira. Oh yeah, okay, he is fighting. Oliveira. And I think it's this weekend, right? Oh, I'm pretty sure confirmed. it's this weekend. Yeah, they, but look, obviously, look this up, is going to be out look of <laughs> context if yeah. it's prayed after. But yeah, yeah. but yeah. I do believe that uh, Benil. Uh, let's see. Yeah, tomorrow, 9 p.m. <laughs> so, I mean, if he wins this next fight, he's going to get it. Whoever, the winner gets a title shot, yeah, so essentially. Yeah. So, yeah. I really want to see Benil fight for the title. Yeah. So, I can't wait. Man, you know, you know what's crazy, though, is uh, Charles Oliveira is also, uh, I, I don't know where he's, his personal walk is with God, but he's also been pretty outspoken about his faith. And he's, he's an amazing story as well. Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'll have yeah. to look that up. I haven't heard that. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't know, like again, where his walk is as a Christian or anything like that. But he's been he's given a lot of credit to God for his. Uh, I mean, his a pretty amazing like story coming out of the favelas of Brazil mm-hmm. to where he is today. And uh, what well, that's a really good fight, man. That's a really good fight. But, yeah, right. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. My 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 money and, and hope is on. <laughs> hope with for for uh, Benil, right? Yeah, ben, yeah, Benil. Yeah, I wonder if you ever got his a. Uh, he called out Elon Musk on a on an interview. Ever got his Tesla? Who did? Uh, Benil. Oh, he did. I yeah, he like he like hey, he got it. He had this moment. And he's like, I want to take this moment to ask Elon Musk, like, where's my Tesla? I ordered it like like a year ago, and it uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty funny. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, he, he seems like a great guy. So, um, you know, you, you've done you know pretty pretty amazing MMA career, but it, it doesn't stop there. Like you, you said, and I said in the opener, one of my one of the things I'm most impressed with you is, you know, you've always been just a, a awesome husband and father to, to, um, to your, to your family. Yeah. Well, uh, not always though. Of course. Not, uh, yeah, not, <laughs> not before I got saved. I, I tried, <laughs> I tried in my own strength and fell short and, uh, yeah, but God, God redeemed me. He saved me and changed me, you know, yep. made me a new creation and, and, uh, all the anger and lust that I had before I got saved, he, he cleansed me one day, you know? And uh, that's the reality. That's that's a miracle. Yeah. The Bible, I, Bible I, talks about taking a heart of stone and making it a heart of flesh. And that's right. Allowing you to feel. And when you can feel the heart of God, then you make better decisions. So you end up yeah. making less selfish decisions. And you can be the husband and father mm-hmm. you know, that he wants us to be. Exactly, right. You know, and uh, and uh, you know, Tessa is your wife, and you got five children. And mm-hmm. uh, and then you've uh, you know committed. Since you, since you became a Christian, uh, in 2013, you, you went to... Uh, Gateway Seminary and earned your master's in theology, and now you're uh, currently finishing your doctorate in ministry. Yeah, maybe Doctor Nate the Great. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Doctor Nate the Great, and uh, and you know you're giving back in different parts of the world. So, uh, what's some of the ministry stuff you've done in giving back outside the MMA community? Like, I know you've been involved in some stuff overseas. Yeah, I mean, it's I've done quite a like various things. Uh, so, you know, I've, I, I've done mission trips in Turkey and Pakistan. I've done sports ministry, Germany, Armenia, um, Israel, and, uh, some, some crazy cool stories, what God's done through those trips. To be honest. Yeah. Like I I just so happened to preach to 10,000 Pakistanis on a trip that I wasn't supposed to be speaking at all. And uh, we we started a couple of schools there. I've I've been involved in some children's homes and schools that my mentor uh, and I've worked together on. And 
Bible studies at gyms, um, church gatherings, I've preached and stuff like that. So, have you ever heard of a, a ministry called Sports Catalyst? Sports Catalyst? Yeah. Uh, no. So I'm going to introduce you to the founder and, and CEO of it. His name's Ivan. Okay. He was a he was a gymnast, and and he had he's he's from um, Uzbekistan. He's from Uzbekistan. Nice. Grew up in his father. His family was persecuted. He's used sports to uh, start this ministry uh, as a as a conduit in the places where the gospel wasn't allowed. Mm-hmm. And now they're in over two hundred countries, and they have you know wow. tens of thousands of athletes that use uh, use their sports, sports background platforms <laughs> to, to be a catalyst cool. to, to share Jesus. And, and they and they build these camps, basically like a subculture churches, underground churches through sports. And nice. it, it's an incredible ministry. It's one of it's one of the most impactful ministries I know of. And I'm very fr- good friends with the founder. We work together. We work. We do a lot of work together in Ukraine right now. And he actually lives here here in in, in Houston. Oh, awesome! And yeah. so you, yeah, I'm just hearing you talk right now, and I just like it. Just like hit me. You have to have to meet him. Definitely. Like, yeah, that could I'd be love something that. you guys could really connect on. So I'll, make, yeah. I'll make sure I make that introduction. Yeah, Sports Callus, Ivan, uh, awesome, awesome people. The, I, uh, I went to uh, Germany, Armenia with. Fellowship of Christian athletes yeah. and um, connect with those guys too. So it's yeah, for sure. There's sports is definitely a catalyst. It's it's an avenue to preach the gospel, and I think it's also. You said they were doing like underground churches. Yeah, uh, they use it as a way to build underground churches in places that the gospel is not allowed. Right. And, uh, yeah. The 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 thing that's awesome about sports, especially combat sports, martial arts, and is that it's a community of people. So the people see each other every day. Yeah. So if you get a, a church or a Bible study or something where there's accountability, leadership, the te- Bible teaching, things like that, I mean, it really functions, I believe, biblically, where you can actually correct someone and encourage someone in their faith, uh, things like that, because you see them every day. You see how they live. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Yeah, just more, you're doing life with them. Mm-hmm, exactly, like, like, yeah. You know, you go to church, and obviously I, I love the church. The church is where we're supposed to be. Yeah. It's, our, it's our spiritual home. But I go to church on Sunday, and there's, you know, 3,000 members that show up at my church on Sunday. The pastor's up there. I, I, I could hide. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I could hide. I could hide my life problems a lot easier in my church than I can at my jiu-jitsu gym. If I walk into my jiu-jitsu gym... Uh, someone's gonna know something's up. For sure. Going yeah. on. Hey, what's up, man? Look what's going on. Like, what, what, somebody's gonna pull me aside and say, "What's going on? Like, what are you dealing with?" That probably won't happen in my church, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Now, in my small group, it would, mm-hmm. but in, in, in yeah. the big church, it wouldn't. There you and go. So yeah, yeah. there's a, there's a lot. Awesome. There's a lot to be said about like like that being that, that your community is mm-hmm. your, your circle. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I was <clears throat> I was going to church for I mean my whole life, and I. Hiding stuff, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy. For, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think yeah. that's why the Lord calls us into close community with others and building mm-hmm. real relationships with each other, like Chad said, because that's the only way people are going to say, hey, man, something's not right. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to a big church and you check the box and people see you and you say hi and shake hands. But when you're sharing meals together and they're seeing into your life and seeing how you deal with your wife and your kids, yeah. you know, and they're a real, a real follower and a real friend, they're going to say, hey, man, I, that something's wrong that doesn't yeah. look right you know mm-hmm. and that community is is what's most important in that moment yep yeah um you recently launched a podcast uh named fighting for, fighting for truth 
Fighting for Truth. Yeah. Fighting for Truth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna make sure I get it right. In, in the, the debut episode, uh, you offered a gentleman's agreement to Joe Rogan, <laughs> to challenge gentleman's Joe Rogan. challenge. Yeah. yeah gentleman's challenge. Uh, yeah, gentleman's challenge. Yeah. You offered a gentleman's challenge to Joe Rogan on the topic of Christian apologetics. Uh, yeah, we've we've seen Joe make some all kind of statements against against about and against Christianity, which tells me he's like super interested in the topic because he's a pretty intellectual guy. He's, he's usually a deep guy, but he's he said some things that fundamentally just aren't true about Christianity, and uh, and and you really you really challenge him to bring someone on the show, like he brings experts every in every other field. Bring someone on the show to talk about uh, apologetics and the defense of the Christian faith, and uh, and and you know we're gonna. We'll play a little clip here of, of you. I want to play the full clip. We got it. Uh, it's like thirty minutes. It's like a thirty minute podcast, right? Like so you, twenty minutes. Yeah. That yeah one, so yeah. you go into the full thing, but just a little clip to show this. I don't know why people like Joe Rogan have parroted this idea that the Bible is like a telephone game, translation to translation. And you know, I assume that Joe didn't know this information, uh, but I want to issue a challenge to Joe. First, I want to ask you where you got this information, uh, because obviously all of your sources are not trustworthy. Um, and think about this. If you are wrong about such a foundational and important teaching in Christianity, what else about Christianity or Jesus or the Bible could you be wrong about? These are verifiable facts. You can look everything I've set up in this podcast. You can look it up. So I want to issue a challenge to Joe Rogan. Joe, if you see this, I want to challenge you to get somebody on your show who knows about Christianity, who can actually defend the faith. You have a lot of questions and objections about Jesus, about the Bible, about our teachings, about history and things like that, uh, philosophy. But you've never had anyone on your show that knows how to defend these things. So good because, um, like I said, like I said earlier, every time, I mean, Joe picks, man, his his podcast picks some really good topics, like relevant current event topics, mm-hmm. uh, and he always does all the research. He gets pretty smart on it, and then he finds an expert. He usually he's able to attract because it's a platform. He's able to sh- attract like a top expert in that field, bring them on, and have an intellectual discussion about something that really educates people. That's what I love about the show, mm-hmm. but. He has yet to do that on this topic, yet he continues to make statements on the topic. And, and so why do you think he hasn't brung the... I mean, so, not, not, I'm not trying to be offensive, but some of the most ignorant statements, some of the things he says, ignorant meaning he just doesn't know. Or, yeah. And see, he's literally saying something that he heard some other guy say yeah. uh, with no research. I mean, all you have to do is a short <laughs> Google search to yeah. find out the answer... Yeah. To his, you know, trans that the Bible has been translated from this language to this language to this yeah. language. No, it has been translated into those languages. Sure, but it was always from the original. It goes back to the original text, but text, the, yeah. They have a and process. if it wasn't originally, then eventually it was. It, yeah. They always go back to the original text. Yeah. Eventually, I've a uh, one of my good friends and uh, a partner of Mighty Oaks is the, the Steve Green. Yeah, Steve Green is the president of Hobby Lobby, his family founded Hobby Lobby, and he personally is the, uh, started the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. He's, I mean, that guy's put a billion dollars of his own money into, into this, but it's amazing. That's awesome. And, and you, I mean, if you haven't been, 
you have to go and I could hook you up with like a VIP, like private back. It's, <laughs> it's some, you'll spend, you and Tessa should go spend a couple of days there, but it's a, uh, so it's, they have so much information on, on how the Bible is translated. And it was just the amount of a uh, detail that goes into translating a Bible, uh, how preciously it's treated. And the fact that they go back to that original Hebrew or Aramaic text mm-hmm. to, to do this process. It's like, I mean, this is like, and, and this isn't something that like, you or I talking about that not a lot of people know. This is pretty known. The process is pretty known. Yeah. It doesn't take a ton of research. It's common, common knowledge. Yeah, so That's it's not the I mean. telephone game. Yeah. And, and by the <laughs> way, I think you and I talked about this. Like we both, like if Joe, you're listening and I doubt you listen to our show, but if you're listening, <laughs> like really respect like his show. Like, I, I mean, I think, I think he has definitely one of the most informative shows out there. And so many people from all different, I know Christians, I know pastors that listen to Joe Rogan's show, like business people listen to Joe Rogan's show. Cause he's, he's so informative, but I, I, I want to lock arms with you in this challenge, like, uh, to Joe, like, and this, I do believe this, you're, you're giving this gentleman's challenge to him. Like, you don't have to agree with this stuff, but bring someone on your show that could talk about these things. Like bring a good apologetics, bring Bodie Bauckham on. He, by the way, Joe, Joe Rogan, I love Bodie Bauckham. He's a, he's got an incredible personal story. He's entertaining to listen to. He's a, uh, he's highly intelligent. He does jujitsu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but, but I mean, but he can answer these questions. I mean, he's, he's Oxford educated, mm-hmm. uh, grew up in Compton, uh, under a Buddhist mom. So he's not biased. Uh, a Buddhist single mom found Christ at Oxford of all places. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then now is one of the, to me, one of the, my favorite teachers on the apologetics on defense of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Bring someone like that. What's some, who's some other ones? Yeah, I, I named Frank Turek. Frank yeah. Turek would be a great guy. Um, Jeff Durbin, he's he's really good too. Uh, I think the, those are, would be my top two: is Frank Turek and Jeff Jeff Durbin. Uh, Vody's awesome too, yeah. of course. So well, one of the things I, I, like, I mentioned Vody in that. Oh yeah, you did. Uh, yeah, because yeah. one of my and for the listeners, uh, I'll challenge you. The my favorite sermon of all time is is Vody Bakum. Why I choose to believe the Bible. If you just search on, on Google, Vody Bakum, why I choose to believe the yep. Bible, you'll, you'll find that message. It's like in a, it's like an old church with like plastic plants up front. <laughs> the volume's really bad. It's not, it's not the, but bear through the opening. Yeah. The volume gets better, and it's like the best sermon of all time. It talks about you know the sixty books, forty authors, mm-hmm. written over three continents in in, uh, in Aramaic, uh, Hebrew, and uh, Greek, in Greek, and in uh, over fifteen hundred years, mm-hmm. all come together. To tell one story. One story, yeah. yeah it's and all incredible. The, it's, they, they build on each other. So like yeah. the prophecy that's fulfilled in later writings you know, of, of current events, things that actually happen, it's amazing. It's, it's supernatural. There's no, no way it couldn't be from God. Right, yeah. And, and I mean, you talk about like the witnesses, the eyewitnesses, but other eyewitnesses, by the way, the, the apostles of the 12 apostles, 11 of them died. Mm-hmm. And people, people, t- people lie. People make things up for self-gain all the time. But mm-hmm. none of the apostles gained anything. Yep. They're they actually killed. They took that story to the grave. You don't take a story like that to your grave. You, you don't lie and then die for your own lie. No, no. no. You don't lie about it, <laughs> especially for no worldly gain. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. They, they all, you know, 11 of the 12 died that way, yep. brutally. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, you're like, maybe you're and like, John oh. would have died too, but God spared him. <laughs> yeah. Like, I would die for this. And as soon as the torture starts, you're like, all right, I'm out. I'm done. Let yeah. me tell you the story. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. But, but especially 11. 11 out of, out of you know, people. So, yeah. And you, like you said, John would have as well, but I mean, this is a, this is an interesting show for Joe to do. And I think a lot of people listen to it and, uh, man, I, I think, I think some of the guys you mentioned are good. But one of the things I liked most about your challenge and why I say it's a truly a gentleman's challenge, one, you didn't say anything 
really negative to Joe. You just, it was just really a clean challenge. But one of the things you did that, that, that was, that I thought made it think was so genuine is you didn't say, Hey, you need to bring a guest on and I'm your guest. Like bring me mm-hmm. on. Everybody wants to be on Joe Rogan's show. Yeah. Right. right. Bring, bring me on, on, on the show. You didn't say that. You said, I think you should do this. And yep. here's a list of options. Bring an expert, right? Yeah, bring bring, bring expert. the best guy for the job. Yep. That's what I, that's who I would pick. Yeah. So yeah, that, that was, that made it authentic. I hope, yeah. I hope he listens to that, that one. Uh, I hope he listens to this one and, uh, and I hope he takes you up on your challenge and, and does it. Cause I think it'd be an amazing show. And I think a lot of people will listen and, and it, would, yeah, it, it would give a lot of people some truth that they're clearly lacking, including himself. I think he would learn a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think I've seen that he's softened his position on like God, right? He was more of an atheist before. Now he's kind of agnostic mm-hmm. or like yeah. believes that there's something, but, but it's kind of one of those things he's, he's the reason he doesn't find the truth is because he's not really looking for the truth, sure. right? He, he's, we, we were talking about it before. He's looking for God like a criminal looks for a mm-hmm. policeman, right? Yeah. He's, not, he's not really looking because, I mean, that's what the Bible says that, that you know, people, because of their sin, they want, they want to stay in the darkness. They don't want their deeds to be exposed. But, yeah. but, uh, yeah, and I mean, sometimes I, you don't I, want to, you don't want to, you know, you know the question, but you don't want to know the answer. Yeah, you don't want to know because if, if you know the truth, then you have to respond to it. Exactly. Right? If yep. I know the truth, now, now I have to take action. I don't want to. I don't. I'm not ready to take that yeah. action yet. So yeah. it's a, it's a spiritual issue. It's not ultimately it's not an intellectual issue. It's a spiritual issue. Yeah. Um, but that's that's why we have to keep preaching the gospel, yeah. the good news that J- Jesus saves. Right. That that even though you deserve damnation you deserve punishment you deserve hell and that there is coming judgment there's a way out and that's why the gospel is so powerful that jesus died for us and and uh he paid for our sins and if you put your trust in him that you're saved yeah yeah um man you kind of one of my last questions i had for you was uh you know what what do you uh what what do you want to say to people wrestling uh with their with the belief in the gospel and i think you just said it that's, (laughs) that's the answer is jesus saves uh, he gives us uh, the opportunity to live the lives he was created to live. He didn't just create us. He created us for a purpose, mm-hmm. plan a purpose. Most of us live our whole lives like feeling like there's something more. There's something else. I can't put my finger on it, but I'm, I'm missing something. There's something else I need to do. And most of us live the, our whole lives that way. Um, but, you know, the answer's right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people say, this, man, there's no handbook to life. If, yeah, there is a handbook to life. You should pick it up and read it. Yeah. It's like that Ikea furniture. You get that Ikea furniture and you... You like won't read the won't read the instruction manual and you're trying to put it together and like, hey, there's some extra parts here and this thing's wobbly. Uh well, it's because you didn't read the instructions and that's kind of life, right? We get the book, the Bible, mm-hmm. and we won't read it. We don't want to know the truth. And, but uh, yeah, but what I've found is that <clears throat> that and the Bible says this, right? If we if if we actually want to know the truth, God's gonna reveal it to us. He's not gonna hide the truth from us. Yeah. So you said for people that are wrestling with their doubts or whatever, maybe, you know, there, there can be Christians that have doubts, mm-hmm. but continue to seek the truth and God will reveal it to you in, in a tangible way to where you have knowledge. Like God can give us knowledge. So we actually know something because without God, you can't actually know anything. If there were, if there was no God, you can't know anything. How could you know, you know, you know, it's yeah. like that. There, there doesn't even make, make sense to, to be able to say, I know something. Um, but, because God exists, because he actually is alive and he does interact with us, we can actually know something. He can reveal something to us. So seek the truth and you'll find it. What's some ways people could do that? 
some, I mean, that, I mean, that's, that's a one. I agree with you. I think you're right. Uh, that's you're, you're hundred percent on, but with some tangible ways that anybody listening could actually do that. What's the beginning? Like somebody's listening to you and like, okay, I want that. Like, how, how do I do it? Where, do, where does it begin? I mean, I think it starts with, well, it starts with humility, mm-hmm. uh, knowing that we don't have all the, like, I don't have personally have all the answers. I right. need to humble myself and say, I need to ask God, God, can you reveal these things to me? And, and then go on a journey. Like obviously the Bible, right. But, there are questions and objections that are outside the Bible that, um, meaning there are objections to the Bible. People have objections about the Bible or questions about the Bible. And find the truth. There's always an answer. Sometimes people ask me a question I don't know the answer to, but I I guarantee I'll find it because God will show me. And uh, I think if you have that attitude that, no, the truth is out there and God will reveal it to me and... You know, people talk about contradictions in the Bible all the time. There are no contradictions. There are things that you can present in a way that seem contradiction. But if you truly look to find the truth and you want to believe the truth, then no no matter where it takes you, then God will reveal how these things aren't contradictions. There's there's always an answer uh, to these doubts, and, and God will show you. So, yeah, humility... Uh, reading the Bible, and then obviously um, there's so many resources. Community, right? Surround yourself with the right people. Uh, seek people's lives. Like, don't, I wouldn't always go for what people say. Like, somebody says they're a Christian, or I look at the fruit in people's lives. Like, is, does that person that claims to be a Christian have a life that's desirable? Like, is that mm-hmm. is, is that like the fruit from that person's life? Is that the kind of life I'd want to live? Mm-hmm. And then follow it. If their person's professing things, but their life's like a train wreck, they may not, maybe. That's not real faith. Maybe that's a real faith, right? It's, but, uh, so find people that have claimed to be following Christ, but also have some fruit in their life. Surround yourself with those people. Get plugged into a good church. Uh, you know, if you're ever yeah, wondering man. what kind of church to plug into, uh, the Biblical Counseling Coalition is a good resource. Uh, we have people all the time reach out to us at Mighty Oaks and say, hey, what, I've been following you guys. Where can we find a good church? And reach out to us, and we'll, we have biblical counselors on staff and help people find churches. Uh, you know, find a good church. You can open the Bible and teach yeah. out of it. If they're teaching... They're opening the Bible, yeah. actually reading the Bible yeah. and teaching what it says, <laughs> yeah. explaining what it says yeah. and what it means to us. That's yeah, that's what it means. And then doing it too, like you said, yeah. they, ha- they have to be have have fruit because we can preach God's word all day, but yeah, there's no right, fruit there. Jesus said, "Blessed are if you do these things." Yeah, yeah. So I think people need to look for truth without skepticism as well. I, I have mm-hmm. I've spoken with. Uh, several, I have people in my family that are, that are, you know, agnostic and I, and I've found that when they are looking for truth, they actually are, they're not looking for truth. They're looking for contradictions to the Bible. Yep. And so I think that, you know, there, there could be no important truth to find than, than, than why we are here on this earth. And so you have to go into it with an open mind. And I think that's sadly, a lot of people don't, they go into it and they test the Bible in no ways that we test any other historical scripture, you know, the, the the test that people apply to the Bible, they don't they don't apply to any other any other you know history that we have, and and those have been you know generally accepted as reliable sources. Mm-hmm. We can put the Bible against those same tests, and it will it will outscore uh, these historical you know um, writings that we follow and and we basically make gospel. Um, 
but sadly, they they refuse to allow the truth of the gospel to to uh, you know shine in that same way. Mm-hmm. So I think seeking it without skepticism, in a way that allows your heart to be open to the truth, is extremely important as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah that, that's it's a spiritual issue yeah. ultimately. So if, if they're not willing to follow the truth when they find it, they, they'll find out. This is one thing. Like <clears throat> if you talk to someone who has an objection. You can answer that objection. Do you know what you'll get? Another objection, exactly. right? Sure, so it's yeah. like just one thing after the next, after the next. So it's yeah. uh, it's like okay. So that what hap- What about that last objection? I can prove all your objections, but yes. I just you know proved that what you said was wrong. And it's it's not an intellectual problem. It's a spiritual. It's a heart issue. Yeah. People yeah. don't want yeah. to believe because it has consequences. Correct. Hey, well, I want to circle back. Uh, I hate saying the word circle back. It reminds me of Jennifer Saki, the White House press secretary. She stole, <laughs> she stole it, stole it, and ruined it. But uh, go go back to uh, the Joe Rogan with apologetics. So, I'll, what? How do you define? For those listening that don't know the word apologetics, maybe the first time they heard this word, can you define what apologetics means and what it is from the Christian press? I'm, yeah, it's so the word comes from a Greek word that's from First uh, Peter three fifteen. Uh, basically, it says, you know, always be ready to give an answer or a defense for the hope that's within you. So for, for your hope, for your Christian faith, give, a, give an answer or give a defense. So apologetics is giving a defense or defending the faith, essentially, yeah. and um, having an answer for, you know, the objections. What's, what's your reason for believing in, in light of these supposed objections, I would say? And so there's people, I mean, we all have to have that at some level on our own, but there's actually, you know, back to this challenge of, of, of Joe Rogan, there's actually people that that's their, that's their focus, that's their, there's degrees in apologetics and, right, yeah. and, and they're experts in apologetics. That's what they study. They, they study facts and history and geography and it, what you say, which geography have to do with, with defense of the Bible, where there's been 30,000 archaeological digs, most of them trying to disprove the Bible, but every one of them proved exactly, exactly the accuracy right? of the Bible. So like the, these apologetics... Uh, experts uh, and know it, all this information, so mm-hmm. that's 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 when we're chal- where we're saying that Joe Rogan is like bring on one of these apologetics experts, yeah, that can defend the things you're saying and and, and talk about the faith. Do you think do you think Joe's gonna respond to this? Not this, but to your challenge. I mean, to, to, to your challenge. You think he'll hear it? I I, I, I would guess it. he he would hear about it yeah. at least. Yeah, you're, uh, a pop, you're a popular dude. People know who Nate the Great well, is. Well, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that, but <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm sure he's here. I think I think there was another petition going around that I'd heard about uh, for a guy named uh, oh, I can't remember his name, William Layden Craig. <clears throat> yeah. He's a great apologist. I I personally wouldn't recommend him for Joe's audience. Yeah. Uh, he's very you know philosophical, and I don't even actually agree with everything he says. I think some of it. But but whatever he he's a great Christian apologist, um, but yeah I think uh, I think I don't know it's hard yeah. to say because like like I said it's a it's a spiritual issue. Mm, yeah. um, he has to be willing to ex- he has to be he know he's Joe Rogan is smart enough to know that if he brings someone on a show he's, he's smart enough to know that they're gonna bring up some very good points yeah they're gonna bring up truth. And then he's, how, is, how is he going to wrestle with that? Yeah, because he's not equipped. I 100% he's not equipped. They'll smash everything he has to yeah, say. If, they, if he tries to debate and he, them. All the objections yeah. I've heard are, are very yeah. yeah. If he tried if he tried to debate them, he knows he would not be able to debate them. Yeah. So he would have to, he would have to not debate them, just kind of let guide, guide them through a conversation to, 
but it, it would expose yeah. truth. And now, now everything he does forward, he has to be able to do in light of being having been openly exposed to the truth. Yeah. What kind of decisions he's going to? He may he may be forced to make some decisions. I think you know. I, I know that he has some people in his life, or at least that have been on his show that are that are actually Christians. Maybe they're not the strongest. Yeah. They don't have the most uh, biblical knowledge and things like that, but they, um, I think, through those relationships, they might be able to bring him closer to Christ, where he actually might desire, yeah. like, okay. Um, but again, it's not it's not an intellectual problem. Yeah, it's a hard and, problem. And uh, yeah. you know, apologetics is great for Christians. It's mm-hmm. going to embolden our faith. Um, it is, yeah. Well, by the way, like for those listening, you say an apologist, apologetics, that's not mm-hmm. apologizing, like, yeah. like making an excuse for it. It's like, it, it could be a confusing. I've heard people say like that a, before. Is it apologizing for being a Christian? No, it's not <laughs> apologizing for being a Christian. It's being bold. It's being able to be equipped to be bold in your faith and, mm-hmm. and, and be able to back up what you believe and why you believe it based on historical evidence, mm-hmm. based on supernatural events that, that took place and eyewitnesses. I could, I mean, and it still lives on today. I could live, you know, I could talk about things in my life and some of the things we've seen in Ukraine and uh, the eva- Afghan evacuations that we're part of, uh, some of the work that we see at Mighty Oaks, these are like supernatural things that I see happen that are you know, miraculous. And when I speak about them and, and publicly profess them, uh, yep. it's in a, a form of apologetics. Like, mm-hmm. This is what I've witnessed God do. So, yes. So all of us could benefit from it, from hearing it, and all of us could be part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, before we wrap up, uh, we talked about the Joe Rogan uh, challenge being done on a Fighting for Truth podcast. Uh, want, want to know more about why? You, uh, just kind of a little brief, like why'd you start the podcast? Where can people listen to it? So yeah, I, I started the podcast. Like I said, from from it was for my doctorate degree. It was my project, and I wrote my report on uh, what I did in the podcast to with a with a team of guys that I did. And uh, so I, you know, originally I came up with the idea during prayer, like, because I had no clue why I was in seminary, or not, not why I was in seminary, but why I was in the doctorate program. I had no, no desire to do school, to be honest. Um, but I believe God called me to do it. And in prayer time, I, I believe he led me to do a podcast. And again, it's something I would never choose to do personally. Yeah. I, I don't like being job. on camera. I don't, like, <laughs> I don't think I'm a good speaker. And, yeah. uh, but I, f- I feel like, <clears throat> you know, in today's world, it's so important because the enemy knows how important social media, podcasts, YouTube, yeah. whatever, all that stuff. I mean, it's, it's a whole nother world. And, and if we don't infiltrate that world, the enemy already has, so uh, I think we need strong Christian men that will will do ministry online. Yeah, and uh, so I mean, it's just part of that. Yeah, well, good. good. How how can people listen? Where where do you go? It's on everything. It's yeah. on YouTube. It's on Apple, Spotify, yeah. everything. So. All right, fighting for truth. Check fighting. it out with Nate. Yeah, I think I I think I have it listed as fighting for truth with Nate Marquardt. Okay. So. And if you if you're confused, like everyone on our staff except me was, is, is Nate Marquardt. So, <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing him for 20, yeah, 20 years, and I'm like, I always pronounce it again. It's not Marquette, it's and Mar- it's not Marquardt. <laughs> Marquardt. Marquardt. Yeah, like a quart go. of water. There you yeah, go. there you go. So, well, um, it's awesome having you on, bro, and, have, and having you in town. And um, I, I uh, 
want to encourage you with confusion, with more confusion to say, I hope you fight again. <laughs> the good fight. Yeah, the good fight. Or the good fight. Yeah, <laughs> right. the good fight. So, <laughs> yeah. Whatever well, I, that means, I, you can figure it out. For sure, I'm going to fight. It out, but <laughs> the good fight. Yeah, but the good fight, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But super proud of you, bro. Like, uh, it's been been amazing to have this friendship three years. Very proud of what you're doing. And I think, uh, you know, lot, lots to come still for both of us. Uh, today, yeah, so. for sure, man. Yeah. I'm super proud of you, too. It's been awesome. Yeah, God bless you, brother. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anything else, Sean? No, that's yeah. it. It's cool. It's cool to sit here and see uh, two warriors, you know, who who really accomplished a lot that that are that are still fighting for, uh, you know, spreading spreading the glory of of Jesus and and our faith, and it, that's not common. So, uh, I commend both of you. Uh, yeah. It's cool to see that you guys kind of cross paths early, and now. Uh, still fighting the same fight as yeah. you were back then and get the cross pass again. So yeah. it's cool. That's right. Uh, Nate, Mar Nate, Nate Marquardt, stay in dangerous.